All right, thank you. Our scripture this morning comes from Matthew 5, and it's verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Thank you, Miss Vicki. Man, I always try to time that to where like I'm right up here right on time, and I just really miss that. Now there's this awkward delay of moving stuff. You guys are sitting in it. Oh, I need this. Ugh. Do we have professionals around here? It's not me not getting things set up. Some of you shaved, and I don't even know how to look at you now. Wow. What is happening? Some of you should shave for summer. Weird. Uh, anyway, gosh, let's start with writing on the board. There we go. Oh. Who said that? <laughs> Raise your hand if you say, yes, man. I wasn't even going to ask. I was just going to casually ride it because, you know. Um, so we've been talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And it's so important because if you're a Christian, then that means by definition you're a little Christ. Uh, we're going to need this later. What is that? You don't even know. Wait, yeah, water. Someone got it. We'll, we'll get it. It's little splashes here. We'll need that later. Anyway, if you're a Christian, as, as a lot of you would claim to be, or maybe you're a reluctant quit Christian, maybe you're a God amnesiac where sometimes you forget that you're a Christian, sometimes you forget that you serve a God who says he's in control of all things. Regardless, that means you're a little Christ. That means that the foundation of your faith, the foundation of everything you believe is in Jesus. And so in that, as you begin to uh, wrestle through it, you should be thinking, well, wh what is this Jesus thing? What does this mean? And everyone comes back to, well, Jesus said this, and Jesus said that. Jesus said the Bible says a lot of things, right? We twist it, we adulterate it, uh, we use it to weaponize and hurt people. And so as a church, we're committed to say, we're going to read through this thing, we're going to look at it in its cultural context, and we're going to wrestle through what it means to follow Jesus. And every week, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, I say, when you think of Jesus, you need to be thinking of kingdom. kingdom. I'll say it together. Kingdom. One more time. Kingdom. Say it like you mean it. Kingdom. Here's why this is so important. Because you are going to end today, you're going to end tomorrow by making this about some personal Savior, personal Jesus that fits into your personal Western worldview that only matters to your white picket fence, your 401k, the job you get, the car you drive, and however you live until you die and then you stand before the Lord and it turns out you didn't give a rip about him or his kingdom or things he taught. You cared about yourself, but then sometimes you attended church. And I'm sorry if that's harsh and rude, but that's the reality I live in. I forget this stuff all the time. I struggle to honor my wife. I struggle to keep people in my mind in appropriate ways. I struggle to not hold people captive and, and murder them in my mind through anger and through hatred. Like, I struggle. And I'm paid to talk about this stuff. Like, I mean, and let, I mean seriously, we can be snarky about it, but come on, like, like, this literally should be on the tip of my mind more so than anyone else, and I'm struggling, so you're struggling with it. And I want to come and say, man, you hear me say all the time, there's no heroes. Jesus is the hero. So don't look at me or Scott or Carrie or leadership team as, as your heroes. Of course you should look at me as an example, and I pray that I shepherd that, and that, that you can look at my family and say, man, this is how we follow in Christ and all that. But at the end of the day, we're all one body, and we need each other, and we struggle. And so we have to hit this stuff every week. I need you to say kingdom every week. We have to fight over this stuff because we're going to struggle. We're going to forget. We're going to have people pull out in front of us and we're going to get mad and wish that they were dead in our minds. We're going to have that person in our family as we get together 4th of July, just that aunt who's always snippy, just rude aunt whatever. And she, we're just going to let her be that way and we forget. No, no, no. Like 
We're hating people in our mind. We're murdering them in our mind. We, we're going to take someone else's beauty and use it to fuel all our sexual desires. And we're going to belittle them into an object of our passion, of our desire. And we're going to completely ruin what God created us for in our minds. And so that's what we've been talking through. Jesus in uh, John, or sorry, Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Jesus says it differently in Mark 1.15. Mark writes, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I think that's such a valuable verse for everyone to memorize. You can uh, write it down if you want, Mark 1.15. All of your Christian life is repenting and believing in the gospel. Because you don't fully believe in the gospel today, because you still struggle, you need to repent. And as you repent, you'll grow to know the gospel more, and that'll lead you to repent more. And it's a constant cycle in our life. May we be poor in spirit enough to constantly come before God and say, man, we need to to repent and believe in the gospel because the reason that I still use my tongue to abuse people is because I don't fully believe in the gospel. The reason that I still feel the need to hide my internet history is because I don't fully believe in the gospel. The reason that I'm having a broken marriage and I can't humbly deal with the issues in my life is because I don't really believe in the gospel. And so Jesus says, the kingdom is here. It's now. I've brought it. You need to repent and believe in the gospel. So that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> Jesus said he was going to fulfill the law all of Torah, 613 laws. And Jesus said he's going to fulfill it. And so he's been doing this thing. He's going to do it six times. He says, hey, you've heard it said this way, but I'm going to tell you this thing. And so he goes and he explains the law. And it turns out every week we talk about it's an issue with your heart, right? You can all the time be sweet to people with your words and murder them in your heart, in your mind. You can all the time on the outside look like you've got everything under control, all your passions are under control, and in your heart and in your mind, you're constantly belittling people and using them to fuel your sexual desires, right? The, pr the problem with marriage that we have all over our culture and how we belittle marriage, how we don't know how to deal with divorce, how we don't know how to uphold marriage, how we don't understand when Jesus talks about he created the male and female, all that comes back to Jesus as a heart issue. Your heart needs changed. And so that's what we've been walking through. With that in mind, as we wrestle through that, uh, I encourage you to grab a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew 5 and several other places. If you want another place to turn to, then hold your finger on Genesis 3. Uh, we're going to read that slowly together and talk about that. Not all of it, but parts of it. But we're going to be in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, there's a hard-backed black one in front of you. That's our gift to you. Take this home. Read it. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to keep being in it. We need to be seeing God's Word because I can... Man, I can get really passionate. I can say some really emotionally infused words, but they come and go. They don't mean anything. We need to be listening to the words of God. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll hop to it. Father, I pray that your word would uh, shine light on us, that you would call us out of hiding, that you would expose us, and that we would believe in, in the ways that you've exposed us and that we could be open before you. May we be a people who is honest, authentic, truthful. May we be uh, about your kingdom values, where yes is yes and no is no. Protect us from the ways in which we, we spend things, the ways we seek our own glory, our own orbits, God. I, man, as we talk about this, Father, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear. There's so many layers to this. It feels so difficult to even unpack. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would, you would make, sense, uh, make sense of it to each of us as individuals and as a church as your body. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Amen. I need some help, uh, and I feel like, wait. Yeah, I can only receive help right now from an accountant who's tall. Uh, I think she's married to a tall doctor. Ah, oh, we've got someone. Alyssa, could you please come up here? Praise God. Man, what are the odds? My goodness. Uh, man, she's so excited. She was probably homeschooled. Uh, uh, you're not, actually. If I called Nick up here, I'd be in a lot more punishment. Hey, I need you to draw something for me. Uh, have you ever seen an iceberg? The answer is yes. No, okay. Wow. Uh, have you seen the movie Titanic? Uh, so you see, uh, like, there's a classic, like, science thing. They show you the side of an iceberg. So this is you. Here's the water, right? I need an iceberg right in here. That's it. That's all you've got to do. You got this. Okay. I'm going to give you, like, 20 seconds. Then we're going to throw it up on the screen. So, oh, going with the round iceberg. Hey, look at you. Wow, you get it immediately. It's kind of like an ice cream cone. I like that. Everyone, Alyssa and her iceberg. 
I'm gonna add just like some jagged edges because, you know, Titanic and that's scary. And, uh, um, and I'm also gonna turn this into, you've got kind of eyes here. Let's make it just a sad face. Oh, I'm such an angry iceberg. Okay. Whoa. Uh, here we go. Mr. Wade, show us some icebergs. Whoopow! Here's the thing about icebergs. What you see on the surface doesn't represent at all what's underneath. And, and it's funny if you like Google image this, uh, so many people have analogies of this. There's a big one for success. You should Google it later because everyone wants you to talk about your personal success and your personal growth and how what you see at the top is all these people who have health, wealth, and fame and underneath all the struggle and suffering that you don't see. And of course that's very internal and personal about my personal life and how I'm having success in 21st century Western America, make a lot of money, prosperity, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we're talking about. In general, there's just this concept that what's beneath the surface is huge it's rooted, it's uncomfortable. I was thinking about how we've had to dig in our yard several different times, and every time I dig in our yard, I find roots to this same stinking tree. And I feel like I could dig a hundred yards from my house, and that tree would still have roots that I am suffering through. I don't know much about trees. If you're a tree person, maybe you have statistics off the top of your head, but it is ridiculous how one tree can spread its roots all across God's creation. I am convinced that everything underneath the surface is roots from trees. That's it. We have enough trees in Missouri to cover the whole globe in roots, right? And any of you who have dug in Missouri, please just shake your head, affirm that I'm not just some idiot. Yeah, roots everywhere. Same idea, right? Beneath the surface, whole lot more there than what you see. Of course, the tree's huge, but underneath it, there's, uh, there's that. With that in mind, we're going to read Matthew 5, 33 through 37 again, and we're going to talk about it. Icebergs. Someone say iceberg. Good, we're on the same page. I wrote glacier in my notes three times and had to keep erasing it because we're talking about icebergs, not glaciers. Don't get confused. Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Initially, so when we read a couple weeks ago, or three weeks ago, we read about anger, then some of you immediately are like, oh, don't talk about my anger issue. And as soon as we read about lust and adultery, you're like, you just feel the cloud over the room. Maybe you don't, I do, right? And you just feel everyone like, oh, gross, we're talking about that thing that makes me uncomfortable, that I want to pretend it's like this. Last week, talked about divorce, man. It's like, and so I feel like every week when we read these words of Jesus, it's kind of like, hit the dirt, you know? And like, I'm just like throwing a grenade on you guys. And then here's the nice thing about this one. You read this one and so many of you are like, I don't swear oaths. Grandpa taught me not to swear oaths, so I don't. And so like, we've got this attitude like, oh, this doesn't, no, this isn't divorce or lust or things we really struggle with. This is just swearing oaths. And we don't do that. Silly first century people, you're so dumb. You swore by Jerusalem. What a bunch of idiots. We've arrived above that. We don't do that. And so I want to talk about like, what's going on here. Um, Oath swearing was very common in their day, and, and it, there was a time where it was pretty common. You guys have watched movies or seen uh, different feudal times where people, you know, would swear oaths by this or that, by my king or by my castle or whatever. There's this interesting thing here where the, this oath swearing practice in their day, it was a way to legitimize words and sway others. Just a simple thought here. Like, it just, I want you to imagine why in a society of people, a society of God people, by the way, God, Jesus was talking to Israelites, why would there be a need to swear by these things? Because you need to be legitimate. You need to sway people to your opinion. You need to win them over. And, and I want us to imagine the cycle this creates. If I swear by my head, you swear by heaven, then you swear by God's throne, then you swear by God's sandal, and then you swear by God's sandal's buckle, it never ends right? And so all of a sudden, you start, if you're an intuitive person or just in general, you start like unveiling, wait a minute, hold on, you're going to talk about something more than just swearing oaths. Jesus might not just be talking about swearing oaths. Turns out scripture applies to all history of all time, right? There's something about swaying people. And so what happened early on was they didn't want to swear by God. And you've heard people say this, like some people have mistranslated certain parts of scripture to say, just don't say, 
just don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't swear by God. The problem is in our culture, yes, we don't want to use the Lord's name in vain, but in their culture, they were specifically using the Lord's name to honor themselves. In our culture, a lot of times we teach our kids, say, hey, don't swear by the Lord. We're saying don't use curse words that confuse who God is. And there's a subtle difference there because there's a difference in using the Lord's name for your own gain and then just belittling the Lord's name, right? Because it doesn't mean anything to you. And so uh, I think it's worth, first of all, just acknowledging if you're around non-believing people and they say these really awful things about God, man, don't hold this great offense against them and, and ostracize them like they've just really done the worst thing in the world. They don't know better. They don't know God, right? What Jesus is upset with here is people who know God and choose to take his name and twist it for their own gain, for their own selfishness. And that's an important distinction because non-Christians don't act like Christians because they don't know. They haven't repented. They haven't been transformed by renewing their mind. So don't hold them to that standard. All right, quit judging people in that realm and say, oh, I don't know, I'm better than you because I've never said the Lord's name in vain. Stop. Like, we're not talking about people who stub their toe and say, oh, gosh, dang it, and then all the other words come. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who swears by the throne of heaven, who uses God to gain control and power for themselves. So Exodus 20, verse 7, and Leviticus, these are some laws that, that came up. God said in Exodus 20, one of the big tens, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Leviticus 19 kind of added to this to help people make more sense of it. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And so they couldn't swear by God, so they swore by the things of God. And this ticks Jesus off. And, and kind of just paint about how frustrating and wrong this is. Jesus has some woes that he gives to the Pharisees. We're just going to read them. They'll be on the screen. Matthew 23, Jesus unpacks this. But try to step into this and feel what Jesus is frustrated by here. Um, swearing by Jerusalem, swearing by kings, having this swear cycle to legitimize your words. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by the, his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus is hacked, man. He just can't take it. And we're going to find over and over, you know the things that really tick Jesus off? When religious leaders abuse who God is to gain their own glory. You know what really ticks me off? When I see churches and Christians do that. Nothing gets me more fired up. Nothing makes me more humble and afraid. There's this tense relationship. Uh, I will talk more about that here in a sec. Uh, we'll get there. Whew, don't get ahead of me. They're spinning words. That's what they're doing here. They're, they're taking words to gain for themselves. Uh, Dallas Willard has a great quote uh, in his book, Divine Conspiracy. If you don't know Dallas Willard, if you don't know his books, uh, you, should, you should read them. Uh, I'll just encourage you to get into that. Start with podcasts. Dallas Willard was a, uh, he's from Buffalo, Missouri, but then he ended up being a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California and a, and a pastor. And so like you have this weird tension where he's got all these pastoral things he says, but he's also a philosopher. And so his words have to be intricately put together to where when he says something, he knows that other philosophers, uh, particularly those who care because he taught at the University of Southern California, are going to nitpick everything he said. So I like listening to Dallas Willard. Uh, he'll jokingly say at a lot of his talks, he'll say, philosophers are the only people that can dive down deeper, stay down longer, and come up drier than anyone else on the planet. And so sometimes, just giving you a caution, don't go home and say, oh, Pastor David told me to listen to Dallas Willard, and it's the most boring stuff I've ever listened to. Yeah, maybe it is boring. I think it's really formative, and he does really well with words. Here's what he says. We're going to read it. He's talking about these verses. Dallas Willard says, the essence of swearing that Jesus targets here is about invoking something or someone else, especially God, to make your words seem more significant and weighty. The aim is to impress others with your seriousness or piety so that you get what you want. It's a device of manipulation designed to override the judgment or input of others in order to possess them for our purposes. It's manipulation, or as we say in our culture, spin. And Jesus says it's evil. Instead of loving and honoring others with truthfulness, the intent is to get one's way by ver verbal manipulation of the thoughts and choices of others. Leave this up here for a while. I want people to soak this in. Uh, this is heavy, man. This is a lot. Uh, but you understand this. I think that without even 
reading all these words, you know what we're talking about with spin because you understand advertisement, you understand politics, you understand lawyer jokes. Like, we, we have these men and women that we've, uh, we spend a fortune on that spent a fortune to get lawyer degrees and they're supposed to defend us and then we have all these jokes about how they're dishonest, schmucky people that we can't trust. Why? Because all of our culture is spin. Everyone is an actor just playing their part. There's a Shakespeare quote in there somewhere. You don't care. All of us are spinning, and everything is spin. Nothing is real. It's all veneer. And you know it's true. You know when you watch the news that someone's going to judge you for the brand of news you watch, because it's not real news. You're watching fake. You've got to watch British news to get the real news. Their take on the world's right. Right? You get that attitude. Or, uh, you know, your Facebook page is full of idiots. My Facebook page is full of intelligent people because I went to the right universities. Whatever. All of this. It's all spin. Right? Here's a... Man, I can't emphasize this enough because I feel like what's going to happen is we're just going to say, uh-huh, uh-huh, and we're not going to understand the depth of how this applies. Here's, here's just some, some uh, examples. I want to talk about how this happens in our culture in subtle ways. I'm going to start with something a little more silly. Can you throw up the LaCroix here? This is so important. Raise your hand if you drink LaCroix. Anyone else? Good. It tastes like TV static. So if you ever wondered what would happen if you've got a truck full of mangoes and then a truck full of cans full of static and they pass each other going 80 miles an hour on a highway and then they claimed it tastes like fruit in those cans full of static. That's what, that's what this is. Literally, it's a can full of static with hint of a hint of a hint of a hint of a flavor of fruit. And then they put this junk on here that all you LaCroix people are buying into. You're like, yes, it is the taste of the tropics without the guilt. Because it's healthy and it's got no sugar, it tastes like static that lightly had mango rubbed on it, and then I licked the TV screen. It's terrible. <laughs> My wife loves it. Some of you love it, and I just threw you under the bus. Please drink LaCroix. Here's the problem with this. This is spin. This is personal spin for me because it drives me nuts. It tastes nothing like the tropics. Like, I don't even care about the guilt. Like, whatever the tropics are supposed to taste like, if you want to taste the tropics, bite into a mango. Praise God for mangoes. If you want to taste static electricity, then you can drink that trash. But this is spin, right? <laughs> I'm going too hard on this. I need to back up. Someone is offended. Um, I'm sorry. Clearly, I hate LaCroix. I just don't like that we keep having in our house, and no matter what new flavor Nikki gets, I believe, oh, this time, who can screw up lime? It's such a dominant flavor. <laughs> no, there's no lime in there. Like, maybe lime burped while it passed the can. <sighs> Man, whoo. Uh, also, just go look at the ways people sarcastically describe LaCroix. That's worth your time on the internet, because there's a lot of jokes way more witty than I can come up with. Anyway, wow. So uh, you can leave that on the screen as long as you want. Anyway, so we get this, though. It's a spin. It's something that gets us. You see this with Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola is not all about kids being happy in a field. It's not making the world a better place. It's not about polar bears and cuddling. It's about a highly sugar-addictive drink that makes us overweight and addicted to drinking more of it. And we love it. Right? Like, McDonald's isn't the key to happiness. It might literally be poison, some research suggests. We're not sure. But all of the commercials make us believe it's happiness. This is all the advertising world. You get this. You've watched the Super Bowl. You know everything is just trying to get you in. What about the person that you know personally that always has to add their take on something? Maybe it's you. Man, you ever talk to a group of guys about paintball? <laughs> or, uh, here's the better one, high school sports. Please sit in a room full of adult men and talk about high school sports. And every single one of the, those guys, were it not for some tragic, ridiculous knee injury, would have played D1 ball and probably made it to the majors, brah. And they just have all these stories and just got to add to it. Man, when I played football, when I did this, when I was in the military, and everyone's got this thing to say, oh, look at me. Look at, and it's just this, this stair climbing. It's, it's like I imagine this analogy of like everyone taking a step on on top of each other in conversation. And if you get this pattern, you see it. And you're just like, man, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And we play into it so well. I was trying to think of uh, analogies in my life where this came up and was super embarrassing. 
And I think it happens so often in our lives that it's really vulnerable to start talking about ways we spend things. But one of the ones I kept coming to that might, might be a helpful analogy, maybe just might be another reason to laugh at me and realize that I'm uh, just as human, if not worse than you. Uh, I had a scholarship in college. It was called CRV, Church-Related Vocational Scholarship. And the idea was that because I was called into the ministry, I felt at a young age I was supposed to be a youth minister, then I could get a handful of dollars. This is something like $2,000 a semester. And at a university that literally costs an arm and a leg to go get through, then the, the, the scholarship, it was all monopoly to me, right? Like, you play monopoly, it's not real dollars, and so we would sign promissory notes, $100,000 later, I had no idea that I was getting in. So, a couple thousand dollars didn't mean anything to me. I would skip all of these meetings. I mean, I just never went. And one of the requirements for a scholarship was that every month you would go to this meeting. And I just thought, what a dumb thing to do on Tuesday nights when you could play racquetball and play Halo. Like, why would I go to this meeting? Um, and so again, millennial here, like, stick it to the man, I'm gonna do whatever I want, don't tell me how to live my life. So young 18, 19 year old Davey, not going to these classes. And so then when the professor, and who also was in charge of this, and he also was uh, a part of my degree, he kind of pinned me down on it, and he saw me coming. He knew the kind of guy I was. Uh, I was a spinner. I was someone who, who controlled others with words. I was good at that. And he sat me down. He said, David, why aren't, why aren't you coming to this? Uh, and he was just flipping through. He was like, I gave you grace on this one and didn't take your scholarship. I gave you grace on this month and didn't take your scholarship. And so after missing two meetings, I excuse, you're out. I missed six. And they never took my scholarship. And so I was feeling pretty good that I missed six. He was really mad that, you know, trying to take my scholarship. So I told him, one of the loops is if you have a work permissible excuse, at the time, I mowed one yard a week for my grandpa, his yard. It was a self-propelled mower, laziest job I've ever had. And uh, like, just imagine that. The mower pulls itself. Anyway, so uh, I had this job, and I was doing this for my grandpa, and I told this professor, Dr. Furman, man, if you're listening, Furman, I'm so sorry for what an awful human I was in college. But I told him, I was like, hey, no, I have a job, Dr. Furman. I can't come to these meetings because I've got to do this job on Tuesday nights, and it's the only night that, that I can really make it work. He didn't know my job was mowing. He didn't know it was for my grandpa. Like, none of that. And so to me, this was my out. And man, he just drilled down on me. He said, well, what, what job are you doing? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a yards, and so then I tried to spin it further. Well, but see, I've got class during the day, Dr. Furman, and I mow yards in Springfield, so I've got to drive there quickly to mow these yards. And, and someone else would have said, oh yeah, okay, that's fair, David. I'm sorry for, Dr. Furman saw me coming. He said, hey, uh, how many yards do you mow a week? <laughs> I've got... Right now, it's just one yard I mow a week, and, and the time that I get there, again, just trying so hard to spend this, and somehow it became very obvious that I had a personal relationship with this yard that I mowed, because I tried to spin it, that was well, my grandpa, and he's, you know, whatever, and he says, is your grandpa in poor health? No, like, I sh he cornered me, man, and I probably at the time should have said something like, I'm sorry, I really messed this up, I'm, I'm lying here. I didn't, I kept lying, we argued. Uh, I barely got to keep the scholarship and then I went to every meeting after that. Uh, but this is, I mean, you guys, you, please step into the story. How often you spend things, man, I don't wanna look bad. I don't wanna look like I'm lying. I wanna be in control and when someone shines a light on that, whoa, let me do that. We are a people who spin and who hide and twist for our own benefit. And Jesus says, this, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, is a place where yes is yes and no is no. Why would you need to spend things? Why would you need to swear by anything? You only need to do that if there's some hint of dishonesty, if there's some hint of distrust. We're going to read through Genesis 3 and answer the question, why do we do this? Every week it seems like we're coming back to Genesis 1 through 3. If you want to open your Bibles to it, we're having on the screen. Take in this story. Everything was good. God created things. He said it's all good. God created uh, humans. He said they're very good. Uh, one of the last things he said in Genesis 2 is that uh, they were both naked and unashamed. Adam and Eve, completely exposed, completely naked and unashamed. If you've ever been naked in front of people, I promise you, you don't relate to this. It's uncomfortable. We live in a culture where you don't just walk around naked, right? But this idea of being completely vulnerable, completely uh, uh, open and unashamed, it's a beautiful thing. Um, sometimes healthy marriages, we step towards understanding this. Uh, healthy relationships, both we understand metaphorically being naked and ashamed. Here's what happens next. World is perfect. 
God is with them. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, knowing good and evil, being able to decipher, being able to control, having power. That's not just intellectual knowledge. That is controlling knowledge. Don't miss that. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed, this is so important, they sewed fig leaves together. Who taught them to sew fig leaves together? They did. Why? Because they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I command you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. There's already some spin we see here. Think, think about how quickly we relate to this story. Naked and ashamed, needing to gain some control. They've got all the knowledge they wanted. Now they know how broken they are. Now they know that they are not God, although they tried to be. And so what do they do? They sew fig leaves together. We're an inter Immediately, human's first response to disobeying God is to control something else, to sew fig leaves together, to hide. And then they hide from God. I feel like that's one of the saddest phrases in the Bible. Sewed fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. We all want to be like God. I will never get tired of hitting that because every root problem in your life comes from your misunderstanding of the gospel because you want to be like God. And the gospel says you're not God. You were created in his image to reflect him. He is king. He is God. You are not. And that's our struggle with everything. Everything that, may, everything that we've been reading through, whether it's a divorce, whether it's marriage issues, whether it's male and female issues, whether it's uh, lustful issues, anger issues, uh, anything, comes back to the fact that we want to be like God. We want the world to orbit around us. We want to spin a narrative to gain control. Everyone say this phrase with me, scarcity mentality. Scarcity. One more time. The first thing that entered, I believe, in this situation was this scarcity mentality, this belief that God is not enough, that I'm in control now, and I'm scared. This is why you struggle with your money. This is why you struggle with your marriage. This is why sacrificial giving and generosity is such a struggle. This is why we have to constantly teach and do things like Ramsey classes to say, man, what do we do with our money? Because we're such a selfish culture who just wants to hoard and hold possessions and say, mine. This is why every year we feel so led to talk about time and money and our struggles with it because we don't believe that God will take care of us. We believe that it's on us. And the church in America and the West, we've taught this spun narrative that says, no, 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 God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be happy, so you need to take care of yourself. You've got to be wise and be a good steward. And it's all just hogwash to get you to ultimately think about yourself, whereas the Scripture tells us to live open-handedly before the Lord, to take care of each other, to be one body in Him sacrificially gives, who open-handedly lives. Because we all know intuitively that all the people with all the money in the world, they're not actually happy. And we'll post all these Facebook videos about how they're not actually happy, they're struggling. But then the idea of us having to actually give and sacrifice for others doesn't make sense to us. We have a scarcity mentality. We don't believe God can actually take care of us. John 3.16 talks about it in this way. 
For God so loved the world. It's kind of the solution, by the way, as we go. What's the problem here? Man, we went against God. We rebelled. We hid from him. We had to sow fig leaves because we're afraid. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Do you hear that? So fig leaves hide. The people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that their works have been carried out by God. God loves us so much. He's exposed us. He says, man, I know exactly who you are. I know the dark things in your mind and your heart that you don't want anyone to know about. I know all the ways you judge yourself because you're not like the other girls at school. I know all the ways that you think you're not good enough because you're still single and you've propped up in your mind that the most important thing you could do is get married next year. I know how much you judge yourself because you'll never be the person that can go to a bar because you're an alcoholic and you're just the worst person ever. God knows every deep, dark secret. All of us who are so high on our horse and have to fight so hard to hold our position to look good, everyone says, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm blessed, yo. I got it covered. God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your brokenness. And we love the darkness, man. We love it. We want to hide in it because we can control it, we think. That's the big lie. The kingdom is a kingdom of forthright and honesty. And I think what's so interesting in this, I I just skimmed over this earlier, but what Jesus is so frustrated with here, we're going to come back to this dishonest stuff and this darkness, but Jesus is so upset here, not with the LaCroix examples, not with the high school sports people, the the people who drop names to lift themselves up. Uh, He's not not so upset about me lying to Dr. Furman, although I shouldn't have done that. Jesus is upset about these religious examples. And I think as a church, memorial, Christians who are watching, listen, hear this. How often do we use Bible and Christian language to justify our own selfish ideals in life? How often is our language laced with Christian ideals so that we feel more comfortable? Phrases like, well, man, God's really called me to this. I just really feel this word from the Lord I need to share with you. I have a peace about it. Ain't no one in here have a peace about where they're eating for lunch today. We don't use that language about that. But you have a peace about this job that pays you more that might hurt the previous job you're leaving because you made a commitment to that and you've got to leave or it might hurt your family because you're going to be working more. But you've got a piece about it, man. And I'm not belittling those of you who have words from the Lord. I'm not belittling those of you who have an actual piece about something. Here's what I am saying, though. Jesus is very concerned with religious people using religious language to gain control over people. And I'm concerned with the amount of churches, the amount of Christians who use God to gain power, authority, and control in the world. We've got to stop because Jesus has all authority, not us. If you think you have a piece about something and your only motivation is that you feel good about it and you prayed about it once, stop. In fact, let me just go so bold. Let me step on this real hard. If you think God's calling you to something and you don't have scriptural evidence that gives you comfort and, and, big and, church affirmation, not just the people in this room. I'm saying other God-fearing, gospel-centered Christian people, not the ones you watch on TV, the ones you personally know that know your heart, that can pray with you. If you don't have their affirmation, then stop having a peace about it. God gave us the church to be one body, and I'm sick of divorces, of sin, of struggles, and people having peace about things that aren't of God. I'm sick of political agendas that smash people that don't care about other people in the world, that only make us feel better about our personal lives in the name of having a peace about it, because God's called us to it. God's called us to build a $4 billion building facility to pump more people into it so we can throw a quick cheesy gospel at them and throw them out the door and none of their lives are ever changed. Stop. If you have a peace about something, it will be affirmed in Scripture, and it will be affirmed by the church body. Not everyone in this room, but people around you for sure. And I have so many stories I could air on for that. I believed passionately that God wanted me to marry this girl from Louisiana, and it was the most damaging thing in my life. And had I married her, you wouldn't know me, and I wouldn't have my kids. Thank God that he put people in my life to say, this is not of God. 
You're not supposed to marry this girl that you can't control your addiction around. You're not supposed to marry this girl that causes, she ran you over with a car. Man, I've got to stop that story, but she did. Uh, It was a bad situation. Thank God for the church people in my life that love me enough to say, man, church people, if you ever hear someone around, you say, God gave me this word, I have a piece about it, love them enough to drill in and say, hey, let's talk about that. I'd like to affirm that as someone who actually loves you in Christ, because we are one body, one faith, and one baptism. Not David, Carrie, James, Tisha, all of us aimlessly doing our own thing and then coming together once a week to say, ah, now we feel good about our song fest and our meal fest and our event fest. We are one body for his kingdom, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And his kingdom sometimes cares about your job and your profession, but a a whole lot of his kingdom, in fact, all of it is about him, not your job profession. And so we first must submit to him. Sorry if that steps on you. Sorry if that makes you not want to be here anymore. Please hear me. Stop hiding in religious talk and language. It's a veneer. It's not real. And Jesus is ticked about it. He wants you to be authentic. Real people who can be yes people and no people in Christ, not people who have to spin things and throw inflated language at it. We want to hide. There are two big lies that all of us believe. This is back to the glacier. So we have this surface stuff that we all see, but beneath all of this are two big lies. The big lie that I am enough. We've talked about this before. I am enough. That's on this side. I will never be enough. And evil wrenches these lies in us all the time. If you can't read this, just understand there are two lies that you believe. I'm good enough, I'm not good enough. And evil will push those all day long for the rest of your life. I'm not a good enough father, so I need to do all these things so that I can control being a good father so I can be better. I'm not a good enough, or I am a good enough father. Look at all these things I do. Look at the business I started and how I take care of my family. And evil will wrench that all day long. And it's not the kingdom because it's only about you and your control. Whatever your roles are, think about the roles in your life. Husband, wife, mother, father, child, teenager, science student, whatever you are, brother, sister. How are these roles being submitted to his kingdom? Or are these things that you gotta keep spinning to uphold this image, to be good enough or to not be good enough? The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you believe that God loves you? Brendan Manning used to ask all the time before he died, do you believe that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be? Do you believe God loves you? We can do theology all day long about how you're created in the image of God, but if you don't really believe that he looks at you and loves you, then you're going to fall into this all the time. I'm not good enough. I've got to be good enough. I'll never be good enough. I am good enough. And then it's all about you. What do we do with all this tension, the hiding, the scarcity mentality? I think 1 John helps us. Um, All through Scripture, New Testament writers pick up on one word to define Jesus. What's that word? Starts with an L. Love. Love. John hits it pretty hard. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That we might live through him. In this is love, not that he loved, or not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sins, the one who takes on all our sins. So you've been exposed before God. He knows all these dark places in you. He knows all the things you try to hide. He knows how good you think you are and how this message doesn't even apply to you. And he loves you enough to say you need to repent and believe in the gospel because the kingdom's here and it's not about you. It includes you. I love you. You're welcome into this. You're poor in spirit. You need this. But it's not about you, it's about me. And Jesus has exposed all these things on the cross as a propitiation, as a, as a, as a payment for your sin so that we could live through him, so that we could live. First John four eighteen, he goes on to say, hold tight to this. There is no fear in love. Say that with me. There is no fear in love. Who is love? Jesus. John's saying, there is no fear in Jesus. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
Think about the image that you project to the world. Think about your social media account. Please read the research on what social media does to depression and anxiety and, and to your brain. I mean, you just finished eating two tubs of ice cream, one sleeve of Oreo, and you're finishing the fifth time you've watched the third season of Gilmore Girls, and it's 1 a.m., and you're like, man, I'm going to move over to Grey's Anatomy and then maybe catch up on some office, but before I do that, let me fire up my phone, and I'm going to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and you see how everyone's kids are so happy and healthy, and everyone fitness today but you, and everyone made money, but you just sat in your pajama pants all day watching Netflix. You are the worst. My goodness, everyone's better than you. Please open your phone right now and tell me how many people in your life are better than you right now. A lot of them played golf today or went kayaking or whatever they did. That was not an implication for anyone who's missed church to kayak or golf. Whoa, calm down. I'm just saying, we will scroll later on and just, man, the fireworks shows that'll be better than our families. Pick an event. Their Memorial Day was better than yours. This is social media. It's veneer. It's for you to project the image you want people to see. This is our entire culture. It's like asking a fish to describe the murky water he lives in. That bass don't know how gross the water is because it's his world. You don't understand the spin that you live in because it's so natural to us. Please open your hands and let God reveal the hiding in you because there is no fear in love. What are you hiding from? We're all so afraid. We have a scarcity mentality that we're going to be exposed Everyone's going to know how awful we are. Everyone's going to know that we're not as strong as we think we are. We're not as smart as we think we are. We're going to be exposed to ourselves and find ourselves that we can't actually parent these kids the way we thought we could when we were 22 or whatever. There is no fear in Jesus. Jesus casts out fear. Because we're exposed. John 3 helps us. When you come into the light, you've been exposed, but you've been made right with God through Jesus Christ. That's your only hope. Jesus says anything else comes from evil. We want to be pushing back on these things that are evil, these inflated ideas. Please, man, may our church have this posture of openness where people see authentic yes is yes, no is no people. And we don't need to deceive and trick people. May your life be known as someone who is honest and authentic vulnerable, naked and unashamed, metaphorically, please don't go to work naked, naked and unashamed, saying, man, I've been exposed by God, and I'm going to seek him, because King Jesus says that he casts out fear. i got nothing to hide from. And this isn't a justification for you to say, I am what I am, I do what I want, I was born a jerk, and I'm just going to be a jerk now. We, we don't play like that, because we're still trying to be the image of Christ. And so, as a family, we don't just have crabby Aunt Sally who gets to be crabby forever because she's crabby patty. That's not what we do. We say, no, we love you enough to say Jesus doesn't want you to be crabby patty. Jesus wants you to be like Jesus because you're creating the image of God. And so we speak truth to each other. The last point here that you've got to hear, all of these things are going to bring us back to confession. James 5.16, I'll quote it every week, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you'll be healed. Hear me. It should be the case that you mess this up and that you have to look at each other and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I wasn't really honest there. I was trying to get you to think that I actually really knew a lot about cars and I really just barely know how to change my oil. Like, I'm sorry, I, I really wanted you to think that I knew a lot about this section of the Bible and really I just haven't, I just haven't read some of the minor prophets in so long. <laughs> Whatever it is. Whatever it is, I really wanted you to think that I was mother of the year, but actually, I'm so mad at my kids right now, I can't handle it. May we have confession in our church. Why do we confess to each other? Because we've repented, because we have been transformed in our mind, and when we confess to each other, man, think, real quick, think about the beauty of you confessing something, man, I just wasn't honest. I wasn't upholding this thing. I was trying to think that I'm never enough or that I am enough, and I forgot that we're in the kingdom, and that yes is yes, no is no, and Jesus has paid it all, that he's king, and so I can be exposed for him. I'm sorry that I was dishonest about that. What does that say to the person who hears it? That person has two choices to say, oh no, it's not so bad, you're not wrong, because I do that too, and I don't want to admit that it's wrong. Or they have to match your confession and say, you know what, I'm not living in the kingdom either. And then the verse says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you'll be healed. You pray together because you stand before God open-handed and say, we're poor in spirit. We're liars. 
We're those who lust. We're those who abuse people in our minds and hate them and murder them in our minds. We're people who struggle with divorce and not treating marriage appropriately. You confess to each other. You open your hands and say, we need Jesus. You pray together. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know where this lands on you. I could give all these specific things of like, hey, go look at your social media account and see what you're projecting, or hey, spend some time alone this week and think about the things that you're really afraid of. What are you afraid of being exposed in? I don't know. It's too deep. There's too much of this in our culture. We are spinners. That's what we are. Welcome to, welcome to 21st century America. We're not honest people because we have too many opportunities to be dishonest. Literally everything is projecting an image. So I can't sit here and tell you all the ways this applies to you and how to respond right now, except for this. Every week we say to do this. Please, ask the Lord to reveal to you the spin in your life. The places your yes is not yes, your no is not no. All the ways that you're trying to control and sow fig leaves together and hide. Ask the Lord to expose you and to be made right by Jesus, not by yourself. And church, welcome those people. Have a posture of confession, of honesty. We have a way to respond this morning that is particularly helpful as we think about Jesus. We're going to celebrate and remember uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. The way we do that in our church is during the response time, the band's going to come up. They're going to start playing a song here in just a minute. You guys can start heading up. And as they play and we do this response song, we've got elements on either side here, and you can come and you can gather them. We do it this way so that you have an opportunity to decide how you want to be a part of this. Do you want to sit there and pray and open your hands and say, man, what is God telling me right now? How am I doing these elements and remembering that Jesus has paid it all? That Jesus has exposed us and he is king and we seek him. This is our posture. We are poor in spirit. We've got nothing in the bank. So we come to Jesus and we say, man, we're going to drink this cup remembering your blood. We're going to eat this bread remembering your brokenness and we're going to remember that you gave everything so that we could be made right with God. I'm going to read John 3 here in a second. Again, and then we're going to move into that time. During this response song, you can come grab the elements. You can take some time to pray and think about these things. You can take some time and to pray about the veneer in your life and all the ways you project things that aren't what God intended. But this is your time to respond. After the response song, we'll take the elements together so you can come get them during this time. I'm going to read John 3, and then we're going to pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Father, I pray that you would help us to be comfortably exposed by you, by your gospel, by your truth. Help us to see all the spin, all the manipulation, all the ways we twist things to gain power and control. Help us to see all the ways that we hide because we, we have this scarcity mentality. We don't believe you're enough, God. And I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would move right now and you would reveal those places in us that we're trying to hide or that we're trying to believe is enough and that we would open our hands and, and believe that only you, only through you, Jesus. I pray you'd guide this response time as we move to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper that you gave us to remember you. May we see you move in this time as we open up to you.